0: I am J.A. Lovelock, a barrister and an author, but most importantly, a crime junkie. Welcome to my podcast, Behind the Yellow Tape. In this episode of Behind the Yellow Tape, my guest is Simon Corbin. Simon is a lecturer in journalism and creative writing. He's also a crime writer. Listen as I catch up with him to find out more about that.
1: Yeah, I am. I've always wanted to be a novelist um, from a very early age. Um, won a prize at school um, for English, and um, I was presented with my prize—a chess set—at the age of ten by um, Jilly Cooper, novelist. Oh, Jilly brilliant! Oh, was it? Was
0: it? Was it a school competition? How? How did that come about?
1: Um, that was. It, it was at the annual school fete. Um, And we were basically given prizes for coming top that year in whatever subject. It was never going to be maths in my case, (laughs) Um, but English, I I was a bit better at that. I just think it
0: could have gone into a completely different direction, like an astronaut or a a scientist of some sort.
1: Well, there's some appeal for chemistry, but. I think uh, I'd better stick with writing now. I think I missed the boat. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, Jilly Cooper gave me the prize. And um, really since that time, I've thought I would like to write novels. And that is what I would like to do. But um, I began really as a journalist and a copywriter um, just to earn my corn, try and live by writing. And also it was <clears throat> it was a good grounding because you're writing across so many different subjects for different audiences with tight deadlines and you become quite disciplined. So it was a good grounding, but I like to see myself as a novelist. um, Mm. And there are four books out now on Amazon.
0: Did you have any training um, to be a journalist or was it something that just came naturally to you?
1: Um, I just picked up the phone one day and called people up and said, I am a freelance journalist. I'm doing a feature um, for a magazine and um, started that way um, no formal qualifications were needed then nor are they needed now um, you can do the NCTJ qualification National Council for Training of Journalists and others are available uh, and those are very good <laughs> and very useful
0: um,
1: but there's nothing to stop you there's nothing to stop you if you have the gumption and the desire just picking up Pen and paper, although that's ageing me, isn't it? That reference, but nothing, nothing to stop me, just jumping straight in.
0: Did you work for newspapers, or did you just really start it off as
1: a freelancer? Um, I began as a freelancer. Um, in fact, my first ever job was for Fleet Street because Ooh. the first features were um, for a little newspaper called the City of London and Docklands Times. And the offices were above a tobacconist in Fleet Street. So I can say with no word of the lie that I began my career as a Fleet Street journalist.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, how do you follow that?
1: (laughs) it, it, It was definitely freelancing and then freelancing for magazines and newspapers and then copywriting as well.
0: Yeah, I had a stint working for a newspaper, actually. And like you, I didn't have any journalism training. What I did was I, I called up a local newspaper and I said, can I come and spend a day with you and just see what you do? Because I had a feeling that that was the direction I wanted to go into at that point in my life. And so I went down, I spent the day with them and I'm, I'm sitting there. And then I said, um, can, I, can I write something? Because I was just sitting there looking at everybody else. And the editor said, yes, okay yes, come write something. And I said, will you publish it? And he says, well, if it's any good, yeah, we'll, we'll put it in the paper. So I wrote, I think it was three pieces I wrote, and it, it was good enough to get into the paper, into the edition. And then mm-hmm. he, um, I, was, I had what was called at the time a very good job in teaching and training. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he liked my work so much. He persuaded me to give up my good job and to come and work as a newspaper reporter where I was getting absolutely nothing. <laughs> and so I had no training. I had no nothing. And, and I had no money. But I did. I, I took a plunge and, and and I did. And it was one of the best experiences that I yep, ever had.
1: That's, that's good to hear. That's how it works. Um, you start calling them, but then you reach a point where they're calling you. And that's the... Uh, that's the good part. You but the not, nobody's ever
0: called me since.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it can still happen, Joanna.
0: <laughs> now, uh, I've read um, that you, you wrote across, or you write across, uh, a variety of styles, a myriad yeah. of subjects, and diverse readership. Tell yeah. us what that means.
1: Um, that began in the journalism days and in the copywriting days when... You know, as a as a kind of jobbing journalist and freelancer, you had to be um, a jack of all trades and explain things to the readership um, that were of a great you know variety. So um, I could be writing on factoring in the uh, finance sector one day, and then writing about the future of the internal combustion engine um, for a car magazine the next day. Um, so I had to ensure that I understood all of these different things and then wrote according to the readership of the particular publication, the magazine or the newspaper, um, and then ensure that what I was writing was you know, both accurate, which is important for a journalist, um, be in the style of the readership, the magazine or newspaper house style, as they used to call it, um, and it was, it was a good grounding. It was a good grounding for, as I say, adapting what I write for different um, audiences. But it translated into novels simply um, in a weird way that it's hard to explain, that it came from the ether, in that when I finish one novel, or I'm close to finishing it, it's fully formed into my mind out of nowhere. And more often than not, it's in a completely different genre. Than the novel I was just writing, so I've ended up with four very different books, um, mm. and probably that's likely to continue.
0: So you have written some crime novels.
1: Yeah.
0: How did you get? How did you get into crime?
1: Crime is. Um, it's quite central. It's central in two of the books that are completed and in the one that I'm working on at present. Um, but it was more that the topic was there within the subject matter rather than I am setting out to write a crime genre novel. So one of my novels is called Lovegood Good and Enslin, um, and it's about um, the bardem gang, gang um, and about asking the question, what would happen if... Um, Bader meinhof was still operating in the world of today's global capitalism. So in order to write that book, I had to do a lot of research into Bader meinhof um, about four years of research as it happened. And of course, they were involved in criminal enterprises um, to, uh, to a great extent. So that became my first really experience of dipping my toe into crime writing but it was very much staying true to the historical reality of it Um, then i wrote more recently black dog my crime and supernatural um, novel it fuses the two genres and it's um it's a question whether that book is more supernatural or more crime because it's a whodunit um, and a police procedural so the reader needs to ask them Um, who might have killed this unfortunate girl who uh, is murdered at the beginning of the book. Um, But uh, there's a supernatural um, layer over that. Um, But I was able to be more free with that because it's pure, pure fiction, whereas the um, previous one on Baldomainov stayed true to historical facts. Here I was just making up um, a crime story from scratch and I had a free reign. But I still like to have some degree of veracity. So I was very fortunate that um, a professional forensics um, person um, actually did me a crime report um, and sent it to me so that uh, if the murder in my novel had been a real case that she was working on as a forensics officer, this is what she would have thought. This is what she would have concluded and so on. And I was able to write using that report, um, which did change it a bit.
0: You mentioned um, in the first book, did you say it took four years of research?
1: That one did, yes. Um, How did
0: did you conduct that research?
1: Um, I was doing a lot of it on uh, the internet, dedicated websites and so on. Um, And I thought at one point there'd be a knock on the door from MI5 (laughs) with all these various (laughs) radical left-wing websites I had saved down. That... um, I was a bit of bit of a concern at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, also, correspondence. Um, I was in correspondence with someone who'd written books on Badaminov of um, from a historical perspective, and uh, a professor of politics at um, Swansea University who knew a lot about it and knew some of the people involved. Um, and very distantly through a friend of a friend in old journalism. Uh, connections, I knew somebody who'd been present at the trial um, for the baden meinhof people before they went to Stanheim Prison, um, who'd been there present actually in, in the courtroom. So I had a lot, of, a lot of good source material, but that was partly the problem of why it took four years, because I had so much material to sift through to try and figure out what do I use for the narrative in the book. Um, because can become very dry or novels can become very dry if they're just um, endless kind of research that's regurgitated you have to know what to leave out and what to do to keep in for the sake of the story
0: so where do you i'm getting you...
1: quicker i'm getting quicker by the way yeah <laughs> we don't all take these days
0: no no so where would you ordinarily apart from that book where would you ordinarily get your inspiration from
1: well as i say it's 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 a weird process. I don't know if i um I'm unique in this, but as I said that uh, oddly, when I finish or I'm close to finishing one novel, the idea for the next one just comes to me fully formed out of nowhere, out of the ether, almost asking to be written. you know however seeds corner pretentious that may sound, that's been the process um five books and counting, so they end up very different um, each time. Um, the very first one, Rude Boy, was a rites of passage tale, um, drinking drugs and teenagers behaving badly in um, London in the 80s, and that was really my kind of reimagining of capture in the Rye for a new generation.
0: I was going to say, that, that wasn't you, was it? Was it oh, autobiographical?
1: Can I plead the fifth? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Okay. Then, uh, sorry, go on. Very different each time. Then it went to Love good and Enslin, bardem Meinhoff, and Political Thriller. Um, and then it went to Little Bastard, which is a kind of kitchen sink family drama um, set in 1977. Um, dark humour. And um, then Black Dog, which is crime and supernatural Genres fused together.
0: Do, do you want to tell us a bit about that one,
1: Black Dog? Yeah, um, yeah. Black Dog is um, it's a story of um, the detective um, Frank Holmes, um, so called in tribute, of course, to the great Sherlock. Um, although my detective is H O M E S, and he's investigating the murder of a schoolgirl. Sally Hawkins um, in East Anglia. And as he investigates, he continues to have visions of a ghostly black dog. Um, and of course, it's a problem for him because he can't actually discuss this with anyone or he'll be removed from the case. Um, so, question his own sanity. And the longer he keeps quiet about it, the more intense these visions become. Um, and the book, as I say, it was it was designed to fuse crime and the supernatural together. They're the two most popular genres um, around on the bookshelves, and it's a who done it and a police procedural. So you, if you're reading it, you have to try and work out who actually kills Sally Hawkins. But it's also a super uncanny supernatural thriller because you have to work out: is this ghostly black dog real, or is it all in the detective's imagination? Uh, and the answers to both questions are only revealed at the end. And I'll do no spoilers here. <laughs>
0: no, 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 absolutely. absolutely. But it, it certainly, yeah. you certainly keep your readers involved. Um, yeah, it's, I, I like that. I like that. Was that crime, that, the part of the book, the crime part, was that based on a real story? Was it a real um, murder?
1: The, the crime was pure fiction, Uh, The idea of the ghost, the black dog ghost, um, is actually um, based in reality. I have to be careful how I phrase this, (laughs) whether (laughs) it's saying the ghost is real. Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) There's a well-documented, put it that way, there's a well-documented ghost dog in East Anglia um, known as Black Shuck that has been seen since um, the time of the Vikings and the Romans um, ever onwards and is still occasionally glimpsed today. Um, Many references about Shuck exist. Um, So the ghost dog phenomenon is a real thing. And I was living in that area. Um, I was living in Kings Lynn and I was working at a school in um, Hunstanton uh, doing teacher training. And I believe I saw this ghost dog um, in the rearview mirror of the car I was driving. Um, And I did some research on it, um, using my old journalism skills, and the significance of what I'd seen then hit home. And at that point, I thought, right, I'm going to use this in a novel. It's too good not to. I'll use it in a story. Um, And it took some time thereafter to come up with the actual story, um, but that was then the the murder investigation. Mm. So um, the murderer is pure fiction, but the dog just might be that's, real. That's quite. That's quite
0: fascinating, isn't it? That's. I, I wasn't expecting
1: that actually.
0: I was expecting, I was expecting it to be that maybe the other way around. <laughs> i wasn't
1: expecting yeah, that. So good, that's quite. That's ghostly, ghostly. black dog phenomenon is very interesting. Um, I then did a whole load of research into that as well um, before before writing, um, and it's. Ghostly black dogs are the most widely seen ghostly phenomenon worldwide. Um, oh, I do know that. So I've learned no,
0: something new today. To
1: um, and then this country has the uh, highest frequency of sightings as well. And then various regions of the UK have their own um, particular ghost dog with its own pet name, if that's not too nice. grim a pun. Um, and Shuck is the, the one for East Anglia. That's
0: really interesting. Thanks for that. Now, my next question is, have you got a favourite crime story or crime book?
1: Um, yes, I think that that's, that's an easy one for me to answer um, because my favourite author is James Elroy. Um, I don't know if you've heard of James, American uh, crime writer. Um, so my favourite genre to read is crime. My favourite writer living today, writing books, is a crime author. Um, and James Elroy wrote um, L.A. Confidential, um, which you know, became the movie with Kim Basinger, um, and Black Dahlia, which um, is, was also a movie. Um, people would probably know James Elroy most from those two books, L.A. Confidential and Black Dahlia. My favourite book is called The uh, Cold Six Thousand, um, that would be my favourite one of his, which is about the assassination of JFK. And he weaves um, a completely fictional narrative around the real events. Um, he's a brilliant, brilliant writer. He really is. Um, and he does a lot of historical research. He does blend fact and fiction. I mean, I think my part of and Enslin book was a conscious attempt to write He's like a book, if you see what I mean. Um, But I didn't do it half as well. I would recommend everyone to read James Ellroy. And anyone interested in crime. And the fascinating thing about him too is, um, very sadly, his his own mother was murdered when he was a child. Um, She was the victim of what was believed to be a serial killer, and it was an unsolved case. Um, And he understandably became obsessed with this. Um, and then fixated on a real life murder case, the Black Dahlia case in Los Angeles. And when he wrote the book Black Dahlia, he transferred a lot of the feelings about his mother's killing into that book and into that case. And he's done a, a non fiction book reinvestigating his mother's cold case, but it sadly uh, is unsolved.
0: And would you he have fast- a favorite?
1: <laughs> Crime character. Um, as far as the characters go, it's probably. um, Do you mean criminal or or on the side of the law? (laughs) Criminal. (laughs) Oh, on on the dark side. Oh, then
0: we can talk Uh, about then we can talk about the other side as well afterwards. Yes.
1: The the go-to would have been Sherlock Holmes. You see, I mean, Sherlock Holmes has to be um, the epitome of you know. a detective and detective writing and as i say, when i wrote black dog i um i consciously called my cheekily consciously called my detective frank holmes but without the l in tribute and of course black dog um Sherlock holmes, um hound of the baskervilles the um the actual source material um, the ghost dog story in hound of the baskervilles that conan doyle used is the same one as I used in Black Dog, um, Black Shuck. So there's a lot of crossover there um, and a lot of kind of sly tributes going on. So definitely Sherlock, I would say. You've then got to go Moriarty, I I think. Um, (laughs) A lot of of Agatha Christie is great as well. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Smith.
0: And would you have a favourite weapon of choice that the, the baddie, the criminal, would
1: use? Mm. Cluedo style now, isn't it? It's um, <laughs> a plot in, in the billiards room with the lead piping. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not so sure about favourite, but I think it's important um, that it fits the story. It fits the narrative, and then it fits the character so the next book that I'm the book I'm currently working on, called I Should Be So Lucky, which is um, set in 1987 and follows the fortunes of um, a small group of characters through that entire year, um, does have a murder or perhaps two. Again, no spoilers, but but yeah. it, it turns on it turns on a major act of criminality towards the end, um, and. I did have to think very carefully about the question you just asked me about how it could be done to be realistic for the characters and so on. Um, So I think the uh, in in as much as the punishment should fit the crime, the weapon should fit the crime as well. Um, And you want to have have it wielded by a person who would be wielding that sort of implement, as it were. but, yeah, I think in, in the Bader-Meinhof book, in the Love, Good and Enslin book, people were running around with guns um, and firing guns off, and but that's what they were doing in reality. Um, in Black Dog, um, the unfortunate girl was strangled with a ligature. Um, and in the next one, all, in order to avoid spoilers, um, a sharpened blade. Um oh, sharp um, blade right yes and, and, and a blunt instrument, right, <laughs> and a blunt instrument, yes, okay, <laughs>
0: well listen, what's this about you being a drummer in a punk band
1: yeah, i um I played drums for quite a long time, um I started age about thirteen um and Though I say so myself and one shouldn't, I became reasonably good um, and played in a number of bands. Um, mm-hmm. And
0: Any names that we the, would recognise? Beatles or the Stones or anything like
1: that? Well, people did witness this taking place, um, but in small numbers, although um, some people might remember dreadfully named bands that you do when you're quite young. Um, The first band was Stolen Property. The next one was the Martial Arts. Um, The the one after that that was probably in longest was Dr. Smack and the Frozen Turkeys. Um, That was largely the punk one. And the final one was Secret Purple Monkeys. Um, And Secret Purple Monkeys had a gig at um, Centrepoint in London, um, in Leicester Square for the homeless. And also in um in a squat in um Vauxhall um, at the time of the minor strike in 84. So these were the heights of our performances and appearances. Um, I'm just saying since,
0: um, Who came oh, up sorry, with these don't. names?
1: Um I have to admit to being responsible for Dr. Smack and the frozen turkeys. Um <laughs> Or well, at least the guitarist said Dr. Smack, and I added on oh. the <laughs> um. OK, let's go back to
0: writing. Um, talk about your success and challenges, um, particularly as a crime writer.
1: Um, yeah, so that's a very interesting question in terms of, you know, without getting all philosophical, how does one define success? Um, It's an ongoing process and it's obviously different for each individual Um, to feel that, you know, have you you achieved yet what you want to achieve? And do you feel that an individual book is successful if it's right for you? You know, that may be enough. Um, And I think if you're a writer, it's important to some extent that you write for yourself and you write for the work of art that you're producing. As much as for an audience or for publication or for commercial reasons, Um, I'm probably going off on a massive tangent when you were expecting a short and sweet answer. But um, I think it relates. Well, I think it relates to so when I was doing my journalism and my copywriting, that was very clearly commercial writing. You know, you have a client and they say, here's the brief. This is what we want. Can you get us a thousand words on this by next Wednesday? Make sure it suits the style of our readership, um, our subscribers and so on. Whiz, bang, job done. Um, But when you're doing a novel, that's very much, you know, a work of art and it's a personal creation. So I think what you want to do to feel successful at it is to feel you've got that particular book as good as you're ever going to get it and then you send it out there into the world. Um, And if that happens to be in tune with what's commercial and what people are looking for, then that's a very lucky piece of happenstance. So I would say I feel that each book that I've written is as good as I'm going to get it, and so as good as I want it for it to be out there. Um, So in that sense, each book's been a success. Um, Whether each book's been a success in commercial sales terms is Mm. moot. Um, Mm. We may still be waiting for that. Um,
0: Have you got any books that's been um, on audio, but like audio books? any of your novels been um, transcribed to audio?
1: All of the novels are out as audio books on Amazon ACX. Um, Even my non-fiction book, freelance success um, teaching people how to write copy for newspapers and magazines um, that's an audiobook as well and interestingly enough joanna the um since you know this awful period of covid and lockdown um, it's the audiobooks that are selling and they're massively outselling um, Kindle and paperback mm-hmm. and especially in America um, but also now in the u k um, mm-hmm. Literally 75, 80% of sales in no our audiobooks.
0: That's good. And and so you have broken into the American market?
1: Yeah, Black Dog is um particularly appreciated stateside for whatever reason. <laughs> um, even though it's you know set in a quaint parochial part of England as far as they're concerned, you know. Yeah, but I think Americans
0: like that, don't they? Yeah.
1: The Americans like they that. They do, they think. They seem to love it and um, good on them.
0: Simon Corbin sharing with me his crime writing journey and how he fuses folklore with murderous goings-on. Thanks for listening. Join us next time as we go behind the yellow tape. Till then, catch up with more episodes at btytpodcast.com.